So we are going through the book of Philippians and have been doing that for some time. And we're looking specifically at the idea of how we have a binding focus uh, as believers. This, this that which binds us together is that we all have the same focus. And that is, of course, Jesus Christ. And we've seen that throughout this entire book, how we've seen him and seen his humility and how he left the splendor of heaven and how he humbled himself, came in the form of a, a servant and gave his life for us. We have seen how we're to live that out and keeping our focus upon him. And we continue that today as we think about a gospel pattern from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17 and going through chapter 4 of verse 1. And as I look at this passage of scripture, it becomes very clear that it talks about, we'll see in a minute, uh, Paul talking about a pattern that needs to follow and one that should not be followed. But as I thought about a pattern, my mind went back several, several, several years ago. I spent a lot of time with my grandma Anthony. You all have heard me talk about her before. Uh, as a kid, I, I spent a lot of time with her in the summer times, and she would go to town. Remember, I talked about her dressing to go to town one time. And we, went to, we were going to town, and one of the things she liked to do is she liked to go to the department store, the local department store, by the name of Leggett's. It's now known as Belk, or became Belk after a period of time, but it was Leggett's for a while. And so we would get together, we, she would get me in her car, and we would go into town. We'd drive to the department store, we'd walk in the door of, of Leggett's, and we'd go over to the elevator. We'd go up to the second floor, we'd go to the back part of that department store. And there were these metal file cabinets, huge long metal file cabinets that were there. And there were stools up against the, sort of a place where you could sit and look at these catalogs. And it really bored me to tears, but my grandma really liked it. And since I was with grandma, I do what grandma did, right? And so as, as the catalogs there were all pictures of clothing. And it was dresses or slacks or blouses or whatever, aprons and what have you. And grandma would look through those for a long time and finally find something that she liked. And it was, there was a number that was on that page that she saw in the catalog that corresponded to those metal cabinets. And she would go to a cabinet where she could find that number of a, a envelope, an envelope that was a paper envelope. And inside that paper envelope, what was known as a pattern, right? You know what I'm talking about? And she would take that pattern out and she would go pick out her fabric. And then she would take that fabric and the pattern home, and she would take the pattern out, which was a translucent piece of paper that she would put on the fabric and cut it out to make her dress or whatever it may be. Y'all might know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about? All right, good. And so this pattern was a guide to create different kinds of clothing. It was is a, to make what she wanted to make, and it helped her to accomplish her mission of making these clothes whatever they may, may be. Well, as we come to this passage of Scripture today, Paul has just finished talking about pressing forward. Remember, we talked about that last week with that athletic imagery that we're running this race, and, and uh, he, he doesn't use that terminology, but we can see that in this passage of him pressing on and pressing toward the goal and those sorts of things, that it is uh, a race type of imagery. And then we move now to this where we see that there are two kinds of patterns in which to follow. So that if they're run, we're running the race, there's, there typically is someone ahead of us. And so Paul shows us that who that is that we need to follow. As believers today, who we are to be following in our run today, in our race or in our walk with Jesus Christ. And he shows us that there are two types of patterns in this passage of Scripture. One helps us to accomplish the mission of being more and more like Jesus, but the other pattern would derail us in our walk with the Lord. So we're going to look at both of those real quick here this morning and, and decide which one we're following 
or need to follow and which one describes us or hopefully uh, one doesn't and one does. So we're going to look at Philippians 3 verses 17 through chapter 4 verse 1. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand, I'll read this passage for us. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen, uh, but I'll read that for us today. The Bible says this, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that there are, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven." From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word this morning. We pray that you would have your way in all of our hearts and lives. Lord, if there are those here today who don't know you uh, as the Lord and Savior of their life, who have a personal relationship with you, we pray that your spirit would be drawing uh, them to you as you do. But also, Father, for those of us who do know you as Lord and Savior, that this will be a time of remembering uh, that we are not there yet in our walk with you, uh, that we still have ways, ways to go, all of us do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that and that we need to be striving forward in these ways as well and to examine where we are uh, in our walk with you. So, Lord, may you refresh us, revive us, and renew our spirit and guide and direct us. But, Father, we pray that in all things today you would be exalted and magnified, that you would take the word, and, Lord, and, and it may not be returned to you void, but may it have its way in all of our hearts and lives. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May you use me simply as your instrument, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you picked up a bulletin today, you'll see that there's, some outline, there's an outline there, some lines that we're going to be filling in as we move along this passage of Scripture. And as I said, there are really two patterns here. And the first pattern that Paul talks about then we'll skip around a little bit in this passage to see this specifically. But the first pattern we see here is examples of following Christ. An example of following Christ. And if you look at verse 17, Paul has just talked about, you know, uh, making, making us all realize, including himself, that we have not attained or perfected. We're not, we're not there yet in our run with Jesus Christ. But yet we do know that Paul is further along than most in this day, of course, as he's writing these words to the church of Philippi. And he says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So he's saying there, follow the example of those who are running that race of of following Jesus and seeking to know Jesus and seeking to, to live in the power of the resurrection, to, to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, that those that are moving ahead of you, that you as a believer, uh, new believers even, to, to follow along those who are running ahead of you, that are walking the walk, that are living the life and running the race. Paul says that that would be me, Paul, following my example, and those who so walk. There are others as well. Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, these words. He would say, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. 
In the NIV, that says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, we hear that about the Apostle Paul, and we think to ourselves, man, that, that just sounds really prideful. Follow me. Follow what I'm, you do what I'm doing and you'll be fine. You, you imitate me. You, you follow me. You do what I'm doing. But here's the, here's the reality as we think about what, as Paul is writing the, the, this letter to the church of Philippi, to these Christians who are there, is we have to understand some things. Number one, we have to remember that as Paul writes these letters, there is no New Testament. There's likely no, no New Testament for the people to be reading. All they have is the Old Testament. As well as there is no pattern for being a Christian at that time except just following Jesus Christ, which is certainly what Paul is doing and what he wants them to do is to follow Jesus Christ. So it's not about Paul as he writes this, it's all about Jesus. But he wants them to follow with the pattern of following what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. It's still a message for us today, isn't it? To follow the example of someone who is further along than we are in this race of following Jesus. We're, we talked about in the last passage of Scripture how we're straining forward to be more and more like Jesus, how we're pressing forward to be more and more like Jesus. And as we're running this race, the example then in our minds now is that there is someone ahead of us that's running a little bit further down the track, and we want to be, we want to be able to get the time that they're getting in, in our race. We want to do what they're doing. We want to, they're following along the Lord in, the, in a way, and we want to be like them. We want to imitate them because they're following Jesus at a closer level than I am. And so that's what he's saying here. And, and as you think about that and following this pattern, we do that in every area of our life, don't we? We do that when, when in our work. When you start a new job, you, you're put, up, put along somebody who has been there and knows the ropes, and you train with them because they've been there and they know what they're doing. They're going to teach you. It's an apprenticeship. We, we know that it's, it's good to do that in marriages. When you're a newlywed, it's good to talk to people who've been married a lot longer than you have. That they can say to you, you know what, it's going to be all right. This first year is going to be tough, but let me tell you what, it's going to be okay, right? It's good to have those people who come alongside us who who further along the journey than we are that we can come up beside and say, hey, I see where you are and I want to be there, but I need to hear from you. To follow those examples. We see that in parenting and marriage and all parts of, of life, in our work, but in, and also in our spiritual walk with the Lord. To have someone who is down the road further than we are that we could come up beside and say, hey, I see you running this race. And I want to be there too. I want to learn from you. Because I see something in you that you are following Jesus. And I want to be there. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing. In my own life, I think about uh, when I was, Angie and I had just gotten married. I was an associate pastor in Southwest Virginia. And I was associate pastor, and the pastor of the church at Cedar Bluff Baptist was a man by the name of Grady Bird. And some of you have heard me talk about Grady Bird. Grady Bird was the pastor. He's with the Lord now. He died with Parkinson's disease, but he lived a long life. But for just a couple of years, he was a man of God who poured into my life. And what would happen is after Angie and I get, got married and we moved to where they were there in the southwest part of Virginia, we were on Sundays, Sunday morning service, Sunday night we had youth and he had the service on Sunday night. After service on Sunday night, he would say, Brother Joy, you and Angie, come on up to the house uh, after service tonight. And we say, okay, because we know that that man, his wife, Miss Jane, probably fixed a pie or cake. <laughs> and we were going up there and we were going to have a good time with them fellowshipping together. 
And we'd go up to his house almost every Sunday night, <clears throat> almost every Sunday night. We'd go up to his house, and, uh, and uh, he would say, Now, Brother Joy, you wait right here. I'm going to go get myself together because it was getting late about that time. And then you come on uh, back here in a few minutes. I'll holler for you. I'd say, Yes, sir. He was my pastor. I was his associate pastor. So in a few minutes, I'd hear him, and uh, he had gotten his pajamas on and gotten in his bed. And there was a lazy boy right beside his, beside his bed. And he'd say, Brother Joy, you come on back. And so I'd go back, and he'd be sitting up in the bed, and, and uh, I'd sit in the lazy boy, and he would begin, we'd begin to talk about that day at church and different things that we'd seen and conversations that he had had. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was mentoring me. Now, we didn't call it mentoring in that day, but that's exactly what it was. And I'll tell you something. I am so grateful for a man by the name of Grady Bird. Amen? Somebody who was further along in the ministry, further along in their faith, who saw me as someone younger in the ministry and younger in my faith and said, look, I want to pour into you. Let me, let's just talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what it is to follow the Lord. Let's talk about what it is to serve him. And I'm so grateful for people like that in my life throughout the years. And I'm sure there's been people like that in your life. And that we need to make sure that we're following those kinds of people who are running the race further down the race than we are. And we can come alongside them and hear from them and see what it is to imitate Jesus Christ, to be what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Everybody with me this morning? Amen. We want to do that. And so Paul is saying, look, there's a pattern here that you have somebody that you need to follow. And there's two different kinds. The first one are the examples of following Christ. And the kind of people we see in this passage of Scripture who are examples of following Christ. And the first thing that we see about them, who, what they look like, is they're living the life in the Lord. They're living the life in the Lord. In verse 20, we see that Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, for our citizenship is heaven. Talking about those of us who are believers. Now, as he was to say that to the church at Philippi, that would have rung a bell. That would have struck a chord with them, because understand that Philippi was a colony of Rome. And being a colony of Rome, Philippi then was really a small Rome away from Rome. So these people who were in Philippi knew that they were citizens of the mother country, Rome. And citizenship to them was very important, especially in that day. It, it is important to us today as well. But especially in that day, citizenship meant security. Citizenship meant stability. It meant having rights and responsibilities. And so they were a colony of citizens that were living in another place from the homeland. Well, Paul says to them, look, our citizenship is in heaven. Well, you may think it's important that it's in Rome. You need to understand that really our citizenship is in heaven. And beloved, that's us as well, that we are citizens of another country. All of us here, I would suspect most all of us here would be American citizens. But the truth is, is if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our citizenship is in heaven. You see, we're, we're citizens of another country living in another place. We're citizens of this place called heaven. We're people of heaven who are living away from heaven. Y'all got me this morning, right? Amen? That's our home. That's the homeland is heaven. We're citizens of heaven. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so what does it look like to live the life in the Lord as citizens of heaven? 
Well, if you remember back in chapter 1 and verse 27, he said there, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel in the New King James. But in reality, the Greek was, live as citizens that are worthy of the gospel. So if we're to live as citizens that are worthy of the gospel, worthy of what Jesus has done for us, that means that we are to live in obedience to who is our ruler. A citizen is going to live in obedience to their ruler, and they would have known that in Philippi, they need to follow the Caesar. But Paul says we're citizens of heaven. We need to make sure that we're following our ruler, who is the king. Not the president, the king. Not the prime minister, the king. Not the congress, the king. Jesus Christ is our ruler. Amen? Now, we're to, uh, we're to certainly uh, uh, have a, understand the authority of those who are over us and respect that authority. But what we're talking about here is being citizens of heaven. To be obedient to our king and to our savior. Completely loyal to the true savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Living by the laws of his kingdom, the laws of grace and truth, with faith in him for that security and that stability. Having joy in our freedom in Christ. And so we want to follow the pattern of those who are running that race. As we're looking for folks that we can come alongside who are down the, the path further than we are running this race of following Jesus, we want to make sure that they're living the life of following the Lord and living as citizens, heavenly citizens, living for Jesus to the fullest, striving forward and straining and pressing to be more and more like Him to the very end. I don't know about you, but I want to follow people like that, don't you? To follow people who are giving it all they've got. You know, if we continue to use that analogy about racing and, and following the race, I shared this a little bit on Wednesday night at the well. That it's, we think about running that race, and anytime you've seen a race at the Olympics or, or even you've been to your high schoolers' races, when you watch these people who are running that race and they are giving it all they've got and they get to the end of the finish line, what do they do? Well, do they just kind of walk across? No, they fall across, right? A lot of them will lean, lay on the ground. Some of them will bend over. Why? Because they are spent. Why are they spent? Because they have given it all they've got. God. Amen? And as we run this race of following Jesus, beloved, when we get to the finish line, let's make sure that we have given it all we've got. Amen? And so we want to follow people who are giving it all they've got to go that, go that distance, to go alongside them and follow them who are examples of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. We want to be those kinds of disciples as well so that people see us, they also want to run the race of following Jesus. Remember, we're not all there yet. There's people who are further along than us, and there's people who are not where we are. So we want to get along to where they are, to come, get along beside them, but then there's people who's going to come alongside us, and that's a good thing. We want to be those kinds of people. So people who are living the life of the Lord, but also longing for the Lord. Second, longing for the Lord. In verse 20 again, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. This, these who are eagerly waiting for the, for the Savior. This means an intense yearning, an eager waiting with hope. We're, we are eagerly waiting for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting for Him. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Him to come. 
We're waiting for the Lord to return. We're waiting for Him to come. And we think about Acts chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus had ascended into heaven after He'd been with His disciples, after He'd resurrected from the dead, He'd been on the cross, He died, was buried, rose again in bodily on the third day. Then, after He'd spent time with the disciples, He ascended into heaven. And so the disciples are standing around, and, the, and so it says some men and whites stand next to them, and they say this to these disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He is coming back. This Jesus, the same Jesus, is coming back. So this eager waiting, this intense yearning is not a standing around but it is an active waiting. And so we sense that as, he, as they say to them, why do you stand gazing? Get busy. Why do you stand gazing? He's coming back. And so our focus, our attention is on what is to come and that he will come. We saw that last week and we talked about Paul talking about pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is being with him. It is being with the Lord. But also, Paul says in verse 21, we're eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. The Bible here tells us that we, we, we have a lowly body. We know that, amen? We have lowly bodies. That means literally bodies of humiliation. This is what we need to understand is that when God created us, He created Adam and Eve in the garden, that we were not, that, and where we are now is that we are not where we originally were created to be. But because of the fall in the garden, because of sin that took place, our bodies became susceptible to disease, to deterioration, and to weakness. And all God's people said, Amen, right? Because we know that we deteriorate, that we have gotten weaker as we have gotten older. We might strive, and, and what we know is that these bodies are not perfect. That we might strive for glorious bodies. We might strive for heavenly bodies, but these are not our glorious bodies. We might be able to to work out and lose weight and shape up and those kinds of things and be healthy. But ultimately, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but ultimately these bodies are going to deteriorate. Right? This is not, this is not where it's going to always be. And I say to that, praise God. Amen? <clears throat> these bodies are not... I've, I've come to the realization that if I want a heavenly body, it ain't going to happen while I'm here. Amen? It's only going to happen in heaven. And so our lowly bodies, the Bible says, will be changed at the rapture or at the coming of the Lord when we will finally be like Jesus. Remember, we're on a race and we're striving to become like Him, but ultimately we're not going to be like Jesus completely until we see Him face to face. In that day, we will be like Him finally. We're to strive forward for that, but we know that ultimately it'll be when we see him. And it'll be a body like his, and we will be like him. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 2. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so 
This is a longing for the Lord, knowing that our bodies will be changed and as we have this longing, we want, people, we want to follow people who are also longing for the Lord to come, that we can be with him. We're thinking about people that we can follow as their examples, people who are living the life but also are longing for the Lord, knowing that this is not all there is. We know that he is the only one who has changed us when we were saved. He is the only one, the Lord Jesus is the only one who is changing us through the Holy Spirit within us as we press to be more and more like Him. And that also He is the one who will change us when He comes. It is then that the transformation will be complete and our bodies will be perfect again. There's a better day coming. So why is that important to us as followers in Jesus Christ to see that in other people and for that to be in us as well? It's because the people need to understand who see us as followers of Jesus Christ is to know that there is hope because the best, hear this, the best is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. There is hope, listen, as you, and, and we, need to, we need to know that there's hope for us and people who come along behind us, they need to know there's hope for them, that there is hope even in the midst of the struggles of life. There is hope even in the midst of the trials in which we face. There's hope even in the difficulties. There's hope even in the persecutions. That we have hope as believers. There's a story that's told of a little town in, in Maine called Flagstaff. <clears throat> the town was to be flooded as a part of a large lake for which a dam was being built. And in the months before it was to be flooded, all the improvements of this town and the repairs in the whole town, they just stopped. Because the question was asked, well, why, why repair anything when the whole village is about to be wiped out? And so week by week, as you can imagine, the town became more and more untidy. It became disordered and even despairing. So why fix anything? Why do anything? Because it's about to be destroyed. And so here's the principle that we can apply to our lives as we think about that. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Amen? Where there is no hope in the future... There is no power in the present. And so it is vitally important for us to understand that as believers, that no matter what it is that we are facing, as we live for Jesus and we face persecution, as we live for Jesus and we have the struggles, as we live for Jesus and we have the trials, to know that this is not all there is, but that the best is yet to come. There is hope. Amen? And we want to see that in other people who are running before us, and we want to see, see that in our own lives so the people come behind us can see that we have that hope. Our hope is, is that the best is yet to come. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because this world is not our home. Heaven is. And we long, listen, we long to be with the Lord, to see Him, to fellowship with Him, because this is our hope, amen? To worship Him in the beauty of His holiness, where there will be when we get to heaven, there will be singing and serving and the Savior. And there will be fellowship and friendship and forever. There will be unending awe and unbroken promises and unmeasured blessings and understanding. And as we get to heaven, this is our hope that our bodies will be changed without all the struggles and all the sin and all the sadness. Without all the pain and the pride and the problems. Without all the brokenness and the bondage and the battles. You see, this is our hope. 
that everything will be good in his presence. Everything will be great in his presence. As a matter of fact, everything will be grace in his presence because we will recognize as we are there that we do not deserve to be there. But we'll realize that we're there because of the grace of God and what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Beloved, this is our hope where our race will be ended and we will rest from our labors and we will reap from his love and we will rejoice in his presence and we will be rewarded for our works. But more than anything else, we will see him. We will see Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, and the Lord of all, the Master, the Messiah, and the Maker of heaven and earth. That is our hope, and we long for Him. Amen? We long for Him. And so let us follow the pattern of heavenly citizens who are longing and waiting to be with the Lord, living in the power of the resurrection, who may be further along than us, and we want to come alongside them and find out how they're doing that and what they're doing as they're living for Jesus, and then being able to be for those people who are coming behind us as well. You, I'm going to help them to come along as well. This is what we want to do, to live this way, living in the power of the resurrection. Not only are we seeing see that in people who are living the life, longing for the Lord, but then thirdly, loving like the Lord. People who are loving like the Lord. These are people we want to follow. People who are loving like the Lord. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. Man, what do you hear in, in Paul there? He's telling them to be an example, and we see here a great example of what it is to love the saints. We see here in Paul somebody who loves the saints and desires what is best for them. And where did he get that from? He gets that from the Lord, the Holy Spirit that's within him. He loves like the Lord. He has a great love for them as a brother in Christ. He says, he compares them to the, to the crown, my joy and my crown. He, as a victor's crown is to an athlete, he says, so you are to me. In other words, you make me glad and I rejoice in you. He has a great love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's encouraging them to stand fast in the Lord. Why? Because he loves them. This pattern to follow, to follow are those who love like the Lord. Loving the brothers and sisters in Christ, desiring what's best for them, encouraging them in their faith and warning them of dangers, but also loving the lost. We see in here this example, this pattern of Paul that we're to follow of somebody who loves the brother but also loves the lost. He says there in verse 18, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping. He has a heart for those who are lost. These are the people that we want to set as a pattern before us. People who live the life, who long for the Lord, and who love like the Lord. I mean, after all, if you are farther along in your faith than I am, even longing to see him, but if you don't love like him, well, your pattern's not something that I want to follow. Amen? And if I'm not loving like the Lord, then somebody really shouldn't be following me either. We must love like the Lord loves which is an unconditional love, loving the saints and loving the lost. And so let us pattern ourselves of those who follow Christ, living the life as heavenly citizens, longing for the Lord, loving like the Lord, and let us be those kinds of examples so that others will be pointed to Jesus through us as well. But then Paul warns about the second kind of pattern. Now this one's quicker than the first, so don't get too anxious, okay? <clears throat> so the second kind of pattern, 
He's warning us not to follow this pattern. We're to follow those examples like himself and others who so walk that are examples of following Jesus Christ, who are living the life, longing for the Lord and loving like him. But then he gives us a real quick, in one verse, the, the pattern that should not be followed. And these are the enemies of the cross. The enemies of the cross. So if you look in verse 18, I guess it really is verse 18 and 19 we see this. It says, for, so, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, there were many who claimed to know Jesus. There are many in the church there at Philippi. There are many of the churches around that claimed that they knew Jesus Christ, but they were living in such a way to cause harm to the witness of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they were enemies of the cross. And so their life is not centered in heaven, but rather in the things of the earth. And so there's four real quick things here that we see about them that Paul describes them as. And the first one we see in verse 19, the first part says, whose end is destruction. And so here we see that their weight is wasted. The weight, that which they're waiting for is wasted. Now understand, we contrast that with what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to return because we know the best is yet to come. But they have nothing to look forward to. Their weight is wasted. Their end will be destruction. And what we see here is that there will be many who will go this way. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Their end is destruction. They had possibly, there are some people in the church there who had possibly claimed to know Jesus by faith, but had placed their hope instead in other things, and they were a pattern of such things, of being an enemy of the cross. So they've wasted their lives, living only now for the here and now, and their end is destruction, Paul says. They refuse to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. They're not true followers of Christ, but they're enemies of the cross, and these are the ones that Jesus spoke about even. In Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus said these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everybody who claims to know me really knows me. And in Matthew 15, 8 says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They like to sing the songs. They like to be able to give their, their uh, kudos to the Lord. But in reality, they are nowhere near me. They do not know me. Their end is destruction. These are enemies of the cross who claim to know Christ, but really don't. The weight is wasted. Secondly, their worship is wrong. We see here, he says, whose end is destruction and whose God is their belly. We could just skip right over that one, couldn't we? Whose God is their belly. Well, what that means is, is their appetites were their priority. They were pressing toward, not toward knowing Jesus fully and the power of his resurrection and to be like him. They were pressing toward, rather, their own physical desires and their unrestrained gluttony whether that was food or whatever. They worshipped those temporal elements that satisfy only the physical desires, whether it be food or fame or finances or fun. That's what they were shooting for. That's what their worship was. That's where they were putting all their, their stock. That's where they were placing all their love. That's where they are placing all their devotion. And so as we come to that, we have to ask ourselves as believers today who claim to know Jesus Christ is what is it that you are living for? What are you devoted to? 
Where do you place the most importance in your life? What excites you and what motivates you? What shapes you? What do you do often? What do you often move your schedule to make time for? What is it that you will move your schedule to make time for? These are the things that are most important in our lives. And Paul is saying here, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the enemies of the cross are those who are worshiping the wrong things. They're going after the appetites of the world. Their God is their belly. Someone once said, that's not always atheists or scoffers and blasphemers who injured the cause of Christ, but much harm is done by those in the local church who profess to be Christian and yet deny their faith in Christ by the lives in which they live. The worship is wrong because they're not worshiping Jesus Christ who is worthy to be worshiped. They're worshiping their own heart's desires, their own appetites, their own cravings, their own passions. So how about you? Is your worship right or is your worship wrong? Are you devoted to him? Are you devoted to Jesus? Are you devoted to your own cravings and your own appetites? You see, enemies of the cross is what we see here. We don't want to pattern our life after those folks, and indeed, they're everywhere. But we also don't want to be those kinds of folks either who are enemies of the cross. Amen? So the worship is wrong, their weight is wasted, and they're enemies of the cross, and their ways are wicked. The next part of that says, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. They glory in their shame. In other words, they were heaping praise on themselves. But they also were priding themselves in the things that they should have been ashamed of. You know, we live in a day today where I often will say that there is no shame in sin anymore. That people are not ashamed of sin. But rather what they will do in their sin is they'll post it all over social media what they've just done. There's no shame in that at all. And so we see that also here in, in this time frame in Paul's life as well. That they would glory in their shame. And obviously the, their ways would be wicked. That's not the pattern to follow and that's not the example that we want to be. Listen, the heavenly citizen, the heavenly citizen doesn't glory in his sin or in his shame, but he glories in the cross. Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. I should boast only in the cross. Boasting in here means to rejoice in, to glory in, to brag about. I am to brag only about the cross. I am to boast and rejoice and glory only in the cross because the world, this, the things of this world, the things of sin, the things of shame around me, they have been crucified to me. They mean nothing to me anymore. Now it is the cross because I have hope in Jesus Christ. I boast in Him. I boast in what He has done for me. And so we need to be careful of the pattern of the enemies of the cross whose weight is wasted, whose worship is wrong, whose ways are wicked, and then fourthly, and they're wrapped up in the worldly. It says there in the last part of verse 19, who set their mind on earthly things. They're not thinking like heavenly citizens. The worldly things are consuming them. They're wrapped up in the things of the world, Paul says in that day. And we see that in our own world as well. People who are wrapped up in the things of today, the things of the here and now. 
depending on their own accomplishments and their credentials for satisfaction or even for salvation. And they love the things of this old world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. Where are we wrapped up in? Are we wrapped up in Jesus? Are we wrapped up in the things of heaven and living that life and longing for him and loving like he loves? Or are we wrapped up in the here and now and how far I can go in life for me, the things that I desire, my own pleasures, my own fun, my own finances, my own fame, is that the appetite that we're worshiping? We're to be followers of Christ, not enemies of the cross. Which pattern do you follow? Which pattern is you? Two things to do real quick. Number one, follow the right pattern. Make sure you're following the right pattern. I encourage you to find the Grady Birds in your life. Amen? Find the Grady Birds in your life that you can come alongside and say to them, Hey, I see in you someone who's living the life of following Jesus. You're longing for him, and you love like he does. And I need you to help me to know how it is to, to be more like Jesus. Follow the right person. Amen? People who are following Jesus. And then the second part of that would be, number two, is follow the right pattern, but then be the right pattern. Amen? You make sure you be the right pattern. You say, well, how do I get to that point to be the right pattern? Well, the first thing you have to do is you've got to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? You need to know Him because He loves you. It's, it's a marvelous thing to know that the, the Creator of all heaven and earth, that there is a God in heaven who created you and loves you and made a way for you to be made right with him. And that way is through Jesus Christ, his son. And so what we recognize then is what we need to understand is that we're all sinners. We all sin. We're all messed up. And we need a savior to save us from our sin, to restore that relationship with our creator. And so we turn from that sin and humble repentance and, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. And we turn to Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we're embracing and believing with all of our heart that Jesus is who he says he is in the word of God. That he died on the cross as God's son. He is God's son who died on the cross, taking our sin, your sin, my sin upon himself. Died there a cruel death, was buried and rose again bodily from the grave on the third day. Praise God. And as we acknowledge that, that he has done that and done that for us, we profess him as the Lord and Savior of life. We ask him to be the Lord of our lives. He comes into our hearts and lives and he saves us and makes us his child. And so to be the right pattern, you have to first be on the right track, which is following Jesus. And then you follow him. You already know Jesus. You're a child of God. Nothing's going to change that. But as we run along this path of running the race, of following him, we want to become more and more like him, to know him fully because he walks with us and loves us. 
So we want to be that right pattern for others to see Jesus in me. And so some of you here today have been Christians for a very long time. I accepted Christ when I was 11 or 12 years old. I'm now 52, so I'm, for 40 years I have been a believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you that I'm nowhere near where I need to be. All of us have a long ways to go. All of us do. But as I look at my life and you look at your life, we need to ask ourselves, evaluate ourselves, as we want to be the right pattern for other people. So asking ourselves, what kind of follower, listen, what kind of follower would a new Christian become if he or she imitated you? What kind of a Christian would somebody else be if they're imitating you? How far along would they be in the race? How far along would they be in following Jesus if they do everything you do as a believer? Can another, listen, can another believer follow my pattern and get further along in the race? These are good questions to ask. And even another good question is to ask is what an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, would they be pointed to Jesus through how you live your life? These are good questions. Be the right pattern. You've probably heard about the missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, long time ago in the 1800s, I believe. Godly man who gave up, sacrificed greatly to go to China to be a missionary there to the people to point them to Jesus. Years ago, the communist government in China commissioned an author to write a biography about Hudson Taylor with the sole purpose of distorting the facts and presenting him in a bad light. They wanted to discredit him and his name as a missionary and as a follower. But as the author was doing his research, he was increasingly impressed by Hudson Taylor's saintly character and his godly life. And he found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience. So ultimately, at the risk of losing his own life, he laid aside his pen, he renounced his atheism, and he received Jesus as his personal Savior years after Taylor had died. Listen, men and women, brothers and sisters, whether we realize it or not, our example and our pattern leaves an impression. Be the pattern of following Jesus. Amen? Be the pattern. Whether you're by yourself, in the confines of your home, in your barracks, in your school, or in the market, or at work, be the pattern of following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would have your way in all of our hearts, Lord, that we are convicted that if we were to ask ourselves these questions, could a follower come further along in the race by imitating me. Lord, that humbles us. But yet, Lord, it challenges us to be more like you. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to be the right pattern for other people who are behind us. But also to strive to follow the right patterns of those who know Jesus as Savior. And God, I just want to right now just thank you for a man by the name of Grady Bird who came into my life and who poured himself into me and other men as well through my lifetime. And I pray, Father, that you would raise up men in this church who would be the Grady Birds for other people, but also that you would give us the wisdom to know who those people are in our lives that we can look to and follow along because they'll take us closer to Jesus to see what that race looks like.
God, we don't want to stay the same. We don't want to maintain the status quo. Our mission, our goal is to give you glory in all things and to live for you, to love like you, to long for you, to be with you, to walk with you now, to walk with you then. So, Lord, may you help us to follow the right pattern, to be the right pattern, to live that out daily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing.